Hello, listeners. Welcome back to 444 Westminster, a podcast about planning and development in the city of Providence that aims to give you, our listener, a better understanding of topics related to planning a city. Whether you're listening from Providence or elsewhere, we are glad that you're here. I can't believe we're already on our eighth episode. Honestly, it feels like yesterday that I was nervous, dry heaving about releasing the first one. Um, just kidding. I was not doing that, but it felt like it. Um, while I'm on the subject, if you're a new listener, welcome. Feel free to listen to our last podcast during which I talked to Amanda DeGrace about Pride Month and redevelopment in Providence. And while you're at it, take a listen to our first six episodes on public art, comp plans, curbside management, complete streets, healthy communities, and PVD Fest, if you haven't already. That list is getting long, and it's good to see. My name is Tim Rondo, and I am Providence City Planning's Director of Communications and External Affairs, and staying inside, hugging my air conditioner when the temperature outside is in excess of 85 degrees, because I am much more of a fall-spring guy, not a huge summer fan, unpopular opinion, I know. I hope I didn't just lose listeners. Today's guest was appointed as the Director of Sustainability at the beginning of 2022. As Director, she is committed to fostering a shared sense of purpose and urgency, both in addressing the climate crisis and in creating a fuller understanding of anti-racism and collaborative governance in our day-to-day work. She grew up in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, identifies as HAPA, and came to Providence to attend Brown, where she graduated with a BA in environmental studies. Her nonprofit experience spans the areas of affordable housing, urban agriculture, renewable energy, and land conservation. In her free time, she enjoys rock climbing, playing volleyball, learning Spanish, fair weather, bike commuting, which I can identify with, um, and hanging out with her husband, Sam, and dog, Savannah. A big 444 welcome to Emily Koo. Emily, how are you today? I'm doing well. I know the Department of Sustainability is 10 years old this year, which is a cause for celebration um, and perhaps an opportunity to look at how some of your department's work integrates and overlaps with city planning. Um, Before we get into the subject at hand, uh, I know that you know this drill. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions so that our listeners can get to know you a bit better. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Um, What is one song or film that you know all of the words to? I spent a long time learning the words to uh, Julieta Venegas song, Limon y Sal. It's great. Next one is a two-parter. Favorite cuisine and the best place to find said cuisine um, around these parts, like Providence, Rhode Island generally, or even New England. I definitely can't just pick one type of cuisine. I do love Italian food, so there's no shortage of options there. Rosalina's, Figadini's, et cetera. Vietnamese is up there for me right now. I live really close to Fahorn, which is excellent, even though it's right across the line in Pawtucket, I think. <laughs> I've also been thinking a lot about North, which is probably my favorite restaurant and is closing its doors soon after a decade. Just a reminder to all of us to go there as much as possible in their last month. Definitely. Favorite spot to visit in Providence? New to Concord Hill. I forget if someone already said that one. No. Or, no oh, first. really? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Great woodsy area. Great view of Providence right in the city uh, and or the Roger Williams Park Botanical Center. Such a good one. We've been able to work a lot with the Botanical Center on our pesticide free work. So we've held events there. They really are our best practice in not using chemicals. So Amazing. I love that for them. Um, Yeah. Amanda DeGrace, who is my last guest, loves loves yoga at the Botanical Center. So she swears by it. Shout out to them. Um, 
if you could live anywhere else besides Providence, where would you live? Chiang Mai in Thailand or Wellington in New Zealand? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have been thinking recently about um, different areas of the globe that I would like to live in if um, if I needed to or wanted to. And um, New Zealand is is absolutely a place that I... I yeah. I New Zealand is really appealing. I mean, the state of democracy is certainly better in New Zealand than in mm-hmm. Thailand, mm-hmm. but um, earthquakes are scary. And so that's really the main hesitation about... We, we were actually... Um, in New Zealand just before the pandemic. And we, we thought about what it would have been like if we'd been stranded in New Zealand. Yeah. It would have been lovely. Yeah. They've got a great thing going there for sure. Very sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Last question for you, your favorite role model in the arena of climate justice or, or even just environmental studies action, et cetera. Yeah. I feel really fortunate to have worked really closely with Providence's past two directors of sustainability, Sheila Dormady and Leah Bamberger and to count them as both friends and as mentors. I am so happy that you're director of sustainability, um, but uh, losing, Le- losing Leah was a loss. It was, I, I love Leah. She was, she yeah. was, he is wonderful. And I'm glad that um, she handed the baton to you for sure. All right. Now that we have those important questions answered, let's move on to the topic of today's podcast, which is sustainability as we've covered um, <laughs> pretty well at this point um, and specifically sustainable urban development. Um, so I guess I just wanted to start with the basics. What is the Department of Sustainability's mission and um, what are you folks tasked with? Yeah, our mission is to create an equitable, healthy, low carbon and climate resilient future with and for Providence residents. And that is the tagline of the Climate Justice Plan. And it's really what we've taken as our guiding document in all of our work. The overarching goals in that plan and for our office are for Providence to become carbon neutral by 2050 and to ensure that in doing so, that our frontline communities that are most impacted by the climate crisis are centered in the decision-making process. A few years back, your department released Providence's first climate justice plan. was wondering if you could just tell us what does that document entail and um, what goals does it set forth? You folks obviously look to it a lot to guide your work, but um, it's really an impressive plan. So I was, I was hoping you could just get into it with us. Sure. I think it's also worth acknowledging the process that led to the development of the climate justice plan. Uh, we did develop a more traditional Climate Action Plan, Sustainable Providence Plan, that um, still informs um, some of our work. But in about 2015, 2016, we began really applying a racial equity lens to Mm. the way that we um, talk about sustainability and climate. Uh, That involved a number of undoing racism trainings, developing a partnership with the Racial and Environmental Justice Committee, establishing that committee, and it's an ongoing trust building and relationship process. One of the sections of the climate justice plan is collaborative governance and accountability. Mm. And I think that is really central to the way that we approach our work and the way that we continue to try to implement policies for a carbon-free future. Absolutely. Um, but going back to the um, sections of the plan, there are seven sections in addition to uh, what you would expect from a climate plan like clean energy and transportation and just generally leading by example, you know, what's the city doing with our city buildings to um, use renewable energy, reduce our energy use overall. Uh, We also really center the importance of housing and buildings, um, access to affordable, efficient housing, um, dignified housing, really aligns with planning's anti-displacement plan. 
we talk a lot about community health and creating the conditions for healthy air and community spaces, free from pollution for all Providence residents, really with a focus on port area neighborhoods that are facing the highest rates of pollution. Our um, previous sections on waste um, is really captured in our local and regenerative economy section, where our objective centers on a zero waste economy and ensuring that we produce and consume to live well without living at the expense of others and really focusing on how we support local businesses, how we create meaningful work for local frontline community members. I think there are a lot of intersections between planning and sustainability, obviously. Um, what what practices are most important when weaving sustainability into development, say? Sure. Yeah. And just to first speak to the intersections between planning and sustainability. Sure. Looking at those sections of the climate justice plan, I, I already referenced the anti-displacement plan. The, there's also um, work being done on lead mitigation within the planning department. Uh, transportation is um, really in the lane of planning and our office has long participated in formerly the Bike Pedestrian Advisory Commission, now the Green and Complete Advisory Committee um, and that exciting work. And also the importance of the comprehensive plan that Jessica spoke about in episode two, I think, um, and zoning. And we're partnering closely with planning to see how our zoning ordinance can align with the climate justice plan. On the built environment, Buildings account for over 70% of Providence's carbon footprint. So I would say the best practices that our office focuses on for weaving sustainability into our built environment include energy tracking and energy efficiency investments. That's one. Uh, Renewable energy supply for our electricity. And then uh, electrifying our heating and other aspects of homes and buildings that right now are fossil fuel dependent. So Providence's recent plans, the Climate Justice Plan and the Sustainable Providence Plan, both point to reporting and disclosing energy use in buildings as a core strategy for reducing climate pollution. Our office has done that for our municipal energy usage over the last decade and has saved the city tens of millions of dollars. We encourage large building owners to participate in Repower PVD um, to just begin practicing the tracking of their energy usage and the cost savings and energy savings associated with that. And we're also working on our own benchmarking policy. Buildings and consumers can also make decisions about where their electricity is sourced from and Mm -hmm. shift to clean energy supply. That's a decision we can all make now as consumers. For example, the city connected to uh, our own solar farm to power our municipal buildings. There are also a number of third-party suppliers and there's something called community choice aggregation that we are currently exploring with other cities and towns across the state that would allow us as a city to bulk procure electricity for all residents and businesses with the goal of increasing renewable content while uh, keeping the prices stable and affordable and Mm -hmm. below the standard rate. And the state recently passed a really exciting renewable energy standard update that will ensure that the entire state's electricity is fully renewable by 2033. Uh, So that's exciting. And then that just speaks to our electricity, but we need to tackle the other sources of fossil fuels in our buildings and homes as well, notably our heating, which is largely natural gas and oil. Heating our homes in the future with heat pumps will provide so many additional benefits beyond just reducing our fossil fuel dependence uh, from also providing cooling to improving our indoor air quality. Yeah, so much 
so much good information there. Um, I just want to return for a quick second to the intersections you mentioned um, between planning and sustainability, just for a sec, uh, because I think it's it's so important for us to get into the practice of like literally weaving sustainable thinking and practices into everything we do, right? I think sustainability has a place in nearly every aspect of planning. You mentioned um, comprehensive plan updating, which my team is getting ready to launch soon. But sustainability is a huge part of our um, of our current and future iterations of the comp plan. Providence is a coastal city, and it's super vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. Um, maybe more than most, including, you know, sea level rise, flooding and storms, and then air quality impacts and urban heat. Um, the climate justice plan encompasses most of those sections within the comp plan, um, making sure decisions around housing, economy, transportation, um, and, and other policies um, center the need to protect the city's most vulnerable communities from um, both natural and man-made disasters. Um, I think mitigating the negative effects of development, energy use, sea level rise, and um, and other practices will have a really profound benefit for, um, or benefits rather, for um, our frontline communities, especially. Um, transportation is another planning topic we've covered a bunch and has such a huge impact on our everyday lives. Um, and again, the simultaneous prioritization of equity and also reducing carbon emissions are, are sustainable planning goals. Affordable quality housing follows a similar trajectory. So um, just, to, just to drive that point home a little, what are some other obstacles that planners and builders um, might run into when trying to implement sustainable practices into built environments? One of the obstacles that uh, we often discuss is the age of our building stock in Providence. We aren't often talking about new buildings. We're talking about how to retrofit our existing buildings away mm -hmm. from fossil fuels. And there's a lot of infrastructure that's involved in that. Um, there's also just the concept of split incentives in which landlords aren't incentivized to improve multifamily rentals that would save their tenants money on energy. So those are, I think, two, two core obstacles um, that uh, we'll have to tackle as a city. We also need to do a lot of work when it comes to education around electrification, both for residents and for contractors, on the robust benefits and alternatives to fossil fuels, such as air source heat pumps. Myself, a lot of people I know are really interested in exploring air source heat pumps, and it's not necessarily easy to find contractors that are super comfortable and are big advocates of that. And then that also leads me to... Uh, the third challenge, which is just financial incentives for heat pumps yeah, um, and for residents to be able to access incentives. I know the state is going to re-up re its heat pump rebate, um, but it's still not affordable. Um, you only qualify for a zero interest loan for heat pumps if you're transferring from oil. So I have gas. Um, we're trying to switch to heat pumps because our boiler is about to die. Um, and we have to go for some kind of standard loan. And that's another monthly payment that we're not sure we can swing. Absolutely. Sustainability um, received some funding from Providence's American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Let's talk about the big shade and other um, upcoming investments from ARPA. Um, what, what, are we, what are we doing with the monies that were allocated to sustainability? 
Yeah, it's a really exciting time with the American Rescue Plan investments. Uh, we know that climate change is having a bigger impact, uh, particularly high heat days in the middle of the city. Just these past few weekends, it's been tough to really tough <laughs> recreate outside anywhere near pavement. Um, our team will be playing volleyball at the rink this July and August. Um, and I'm sure we will wish that we had the big shade structure over the rink. Oh, For those who don't know, and I, I assume that um, there, are, there are probably many who don't, um, the big shade structure is part of the re-envisioning of Greater Kennedy Plaza. And it's basically exactly how it sounds. It includes um, installing these large shade sails over the skating rink to provide shade for summer activities and protection from the elements. Um, basically just another example of weaving sustainability into design. So while we have these exciting plans for Kennedy Plaza, including food halls and event space, we also consider sustainable infrastructure like landscaped areas like uh, trees and shade and stormwater retention installations. Uh, also, parks and public spaces are sustainable infrastructure as well. And they really should be considered as such. Um, I'm sorry, continue. Uh, but our office um, put together a proposal for resiliency infrastructure in frontline communities. And we're allocated $1.7 million uh, for that, which is really exciting. And we're looking forward to developing what that looks like with community. Uh, and we're looking to leverage this funding to support communities that have been disproportionately impacted both by co the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change. So that, to an extent, is frontline communities, um, impacted communities. There's a lot of ways of kind of targeting the funding, but we do expect these investments to support many of the themes we discussed just earlier, ensuring that our residents that are hardest hit by heat impacts, by um, extreme winter storms, um, by flooding, potentially due to sea level rise or riverine flooding, that the places that they live are resilient to climate change, that their homes are as energy efficient as they can be, that they have the resources to access the existing energy efficiency programs, and that um, those residents that are most impacted by heat events, for example, are on the leading edge of electrification and that they can access heating and cooling um, and they can, they can shift away from um, gas stoves, for example. Absolutely. And yeah, and I know that money's in good hands with with you folks. I think, um, you know, I, I was listening to the mayor recently and he was talking about investing in our neighborhoods and 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 thinking about our communities in a more holistic way and 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 designing cities based around our most valuable asset, which is our people, right? And it only makes sense that when we're making sure that our parks are healthy, when we're making sure that affordable housing is, is being made available to those, those in need, when we're doing great streets work that allows for transportation equity for those who may, A, not want a car or B, not be able to afford a car, that we're spreading the investments to those who need the most. And that's the equity part that I think that a sustainability really has a great handle on. Um, how can community members become more involved with um, your work around sustainability and climate change? We have a monthly sustainability commission meeting that's open to the public. And even though we have been required to meet in person again, 
we will maintain our, our Zoom access so that members of the public can still tune in. On Facebook, we're at Sustain PVD, and on Twitter, we're at Sustain underscore PVD. Uh, and our monthly newsletter as well. We encourage everyone to sign up for that. Uh, we are working to build our audience there for the newsletter. We started translating our newsletter this year into Spanish. And so are also looking to expand our Spanish language audience, which is really exciting. Does that live online? Like, can I, could I link to it in the show notes? Yes. Amazing. Um, so I'll link. ri.gov slash sustainability slash newsletter. Amazing. I, I will link the URL recently. <laughs> I will link to the most um, the most up to date one in the show notes. So um, that is all I've got. But it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Emily. Um, you know, I think that you folks are doing the work that um, is going to keep us um, healthy for for generations to come. Hopefully, and congrats on um, your promotion this year. Couldn't have gone to someone better. And thanks to you, listener. Uh, we upload a new episode of 444 Westminster every other Thursday. So subscribe to us wherever um, you listen to your podcast to get new episodes delivered to your feed when they are posted. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Prob Planning and on Instagram at Providence Planning. Until next time. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me.